Today, though, in the time that we have, man, do I have a lot of time, but we're not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to be preaching for 50 minutes or, or whatever, but uh, just to share a few things, we're coming up on Thanksgiving, and with all of that coming on, and of course that means Christmas, I'm old enough to remember I worked at Woolworth uh, High School and College. The day after Thanksgiving was the day that you put out all the Christmas stuff. It wasn't Black Friday. You, you took down the Thanksgiving stuff, brought out the Christmas stuff. Uh, Christmas decorations were in the stores before Halloween now. And it's Black Friday. It's totally different. We've lost something about the meaning of Christmas. It's become so commercialized. But I thought it would be good as we have Thanksgiving coming up and then Christmas to think about some of the great privileges that we have as Christians. Some, sometimes and so often we get so down, we look at the news and there's nothing ever good on the news. and We have all kinds of things going on in our lives. There's pain, there's illnesses, uh, a lot of different kinds of sorrows. But I'd like to share today, we have an awful lot of privileges. Now, I'm not going to go into a great detail of the passage that I want to look at today because I, I'm looking at it from the point of view of what <clears throat> are some of the privileges that we have as Christians. I'm going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to be looking basically at... Uh, Verses 3 and following, after uh, Peter greets the Christians that are scattered all over the place. And that's one of the reasons that he, he wrote to them, to encourage them. They, they've been suffering persecution. They are scattered. Uh, they, they need the encouragement because of all of the persecution that uh, they are facing and they are going to face. And Peter wants to let them know that they are blessed. You've been through some situations here and you've been without a pastor for a few months and say, wow, you know, is it worth it? It is worth it to stand for the truth of the word of God and look beyond the problems and realize that God is there in the middle of the problems, but to look at what we have all because of Jesus and his love for us. In these verses, and especially beginning at verse 3, we find the provision that we have for salvation. Have you ever thought about what a great gift we have in salvation? And I use that word gift because it is not something that we earn. 
you go out on, on a job and you work all week, and at the end of the week, you get a paycheck. Do you look at that as a gift from your employer? No. Why? Because you've earned it. You've worked for it. And the only reason your employer gives you that paycheck is because he has to, because you have worked for it. Jesus gives us the gift of salvation. Why? Because we can't earn it. We don't even deserve it. But he gives that to us. Take a look at what we read. 1 Peter 1, beginning at verse 3, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's just stop there for right now. We're going to take a look at a few more verses, but just want to take a look at that. We have this great provision of salvation, and what is the basis for that? It's God's mercy, his mercy. And that's what Paul or Peter writes here. It's God's mercy that gives us salvation. Nobody deserves it, as we've said. You know, if we got what we deserve, every one of us would be burning in the lake of fire the moment we leave this earth. And there is nothing in this world that we can do to get ourselves out of that. We can't earn it. We can't go through rituals and, and uh, go to heaven because of that. We can't attend church every week. I remember when I was in high school, my uh, parents visited a church because it was a, a lady that worked for my dad and she and her husband became very good friends with my parents. And we, uh, one Sunday, agreed to go to their church uh, their pastor was Carl McIntyre. How many of you are old enough to remember Carl McIntyre? Yeah. Uh, Donna actually worked for him one summer uh, in a hotel down at the shore, and she was a, a waitress the one summer. But anyway, Carl McIntyre, he was, uh, if you're you know, old enough to remember, he was quite a character, uh, to say the least. And he would come on in his program and say, Khrushchev is a man of peace. A peace of Africa, a peace of America, a peace of everything. He wanted to dominate the world. Well, a lot of his preaching was more political than, than the gospel. However, he also did teach the word. But as we went into the house, we, or the church, we were greeted by a man. And he had his entire side of his coat covered with medals for perfect attendance in Sunday school. And he hadn't missed Sunday school in 30 years. And he wanted everyone to know as they came in the door that he had all those medals and he hadn't missed 
Sunday school. Folks, I don't care if you're in this church every day of your life or as long as you live, that's not going to get you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. I don't care how much you serve the Lord, so to speak, singing, uh, giving, teaching. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you have absolutely nothing. Well, one of the great privileges is that God has provided for that, and it's all based on his mercy because he gives us what we don't deserve. We have grace. Mercy is really giving us something that we never earned. It's just like grace. They're both sides of the, of the same thing. God's mercy. He cares about We deserve something, but he doesn't give us what we deserve. You know, when... I disobeyed my parents, and I did that every once in a while. But my dad had a great deterrent. He'd start loosening his belt, and I knew what that meant. Then I would get just what I earned and deserved. Very rarely, maybe once, he started that, and I said, I'm sorry. He said, okay, don't do it again. I didn't get what I deserved. That was mercy. Everything we have is by the mercy of God. And it is assured to us, our salvation, not only provided to us by his mercy, but we are assured of it because of his resurrection. That is what's amazing to me, that we have this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus went to the cross. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. The problem is this. If he never rose from the dead, it wouldn't make any difference at all. It's the resurrection that assures us that the price has been fully paid. And isn't it great in the Old Testament, you go to the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, where it talks so much about why Jesus died. In that same chapter, it also talks about that he would live again. In Psalm 22, David wrote about, well, he didn't know he was writing about the crucifixion. But you read those uh, first 18, 19 verses of Psalm 22, and it describes the crucifixion to a T, a thousand years before it happened. Even to the point of the soldiers gambling for his garments. But the rest of the, that psalm deals with the resurrection. The whole point of our hope is that we have a 
living Savior. We have a living Lord. If he stayed dead, we would have no hope at all. So I believe we're really privileged that Christ cares about us. And we have a guaranteed inheritance. Last, well, a year or so ago, uh, Donna's one cousin died, and he had no living relatives other than Donna and her brothers and sisters. So um, Donna's older sister had to take over as uh, executor. But there wasn't any will, which was a problem. And we spent a lot of time going up to Philadelphia to one of the row, row homes and looking for papers and trying to find things and finding money here or there and, and some of the papers and had to deal with that. And he had a little bit of money. And uh, as the only relatives left, uh, we all would have been the heirs. You know, wow, we're going to get some money. Wait a minute. He had a lot of bills. And so all those bills had to be paid. And so there wasn't any money. And some people look forward to getting, man, I'm going to have this. We have an inheritance that no one can take away from us. We have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It can't dissipate. It can't disappear. It's always going to be there. Wow. We have something wonderful to look forward to. As we read the word about what heaven is like. And by the way, you know, we live in a world where every, there are preachers that say, well, everybody goes to heaven. God is love and no one will ever go to hell. Um, I don't believe they have ever read the Bible. And they certainly have never been listening to the words of Jesus. You know, Jesus talked a whole lot more about hell than he ever did about heaven. Why? He doesn't want anybody to go there. But he doesn't save anybody against their will. And by Jesus' own words, the vast majority of people on the face of the earth are going to an eternal hell, the lake of fire. Why? It's an inheritance that they earned. But only those who come to the cross through Jesus, and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he also said that narrow is the gate and straight is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. Think about that. Directly opposed to what the world says, Jesus said there are going to be few that get to heaven. 
It's only those that come to the cross and are saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and allow him to come into their lives and be their Lord. They're the only ones. Hey, folks, those of you who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are greatly privileged because you have a hope that the rest of the world doesn't have, and it's not because you're so good. It's because you have the right Savior, the only Savior. And the world can put all the ointment and salve on the truth and try to sugarcoat everything, but the truth remains. Only those who have been born again through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ will ever get to heaven. And you can be religious. And the big term today is, well, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. And I'm trying to figure out, what does that mean? Jesus hasn't called us to be religious. He's called us to be faithful to him. That's what it's all about. Our faith in Jesus Christ. And because of that, that will empower us and cause us to live for him. Not a religious life, but a faithful life. A life that's set apart. The Bible calls it holy. But we have this idea of holy as some monk somewhere. No, we're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. In the world, but set aside for his purpose. Separated, if you will, from all the things of the world while we're in it. Not allowing the world to stain us, but to make a difference in the world. Well, that inheritance, undefiled. Now, why is it undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you? It's there to wait, waiting for us. I remember as a kid, I, uh, I wanted a bicycle. I think I was in third grade, and I really wanted a bicycle. I remember walking with my mom downtown one day. We were living in Asbury Park, New Jersey at the shore. We walked by a store, and I said to her, let's go in there. Maybe they have a bicycle. I said, well, we can't afford it right now. I said, well, maybe we'll find one for a dollar. Well, I had no concept. I just wanted the bicycle. And you know, my next birthday, I got the bicycle. And I was thrilled. But you know what, what happened that same day? They gave my little sister a bicycle too. Man, did that burn me up. So it's my birthday, why is she getting a bicycle? And instead of rejoicing in what I got, I was Hey, she's got this. 
Well, we have something. And when it comes to salvation, aren't we glad when somebody else gets it too? Someone else comes to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But we have it because God protects us. Look what it says. It's kept in heaven for you by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's being guarded by God's power. The, the word there means a guard is set around. It's a military term where God has set up a guard and his angels there, he, he's guarding our salvation so we don't have to worry. It's there, uncontaminated, and very, very special. This morning uh, in, uh, at, at Kearneysville, I was preaching about Lot. And as you read the life of Lot, uh, there's nothing in the account in Genesis that tells us that he's a saved man. But we come to 2 Peter, and Peter calls him righteous Lot. You know, that gives me hope. Now, Lot lost everything he lived for. He lost his treasure. He went down there for riches and is an easy life. He lost his wealth. He lost his prestige. He lost his moral compass. He lost everything. But, you know, one of the, the worst losses, he lost his family because he was living for the world. Uh, lost everything. But, you know, the one thing he didn't lose, according to Peter, he didn't lose his salvation. Um, I don't know about you, but that gives, gives me a lot of encouragement. Because I look at myself and I say, how am I getting to heaven? It's not by earning our way, but God is protecting that salvation. Lot, the legacy of his life was disastrous, losing everything, and then having children by his daughters, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and they were a total menace to the, to the Israelites. So as Christians, we should be concerned about our testimony and what kind of effect we're supposed to have. But when we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and we're trusting only in Christ and not in ourselves, we have that salvation, that moment that Christ changes our heart and gives us new life. We have the privilege of salvation. You know what also we have? We have another privilege, a revealed purpose for the problems and the suffering we may go through. Look at verse 6. In this you rejoice. You rejoice that you have a salvation that this world can't take away from you. And this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation 
of Jesus Christ. What is that saying? God has a purpose even when we go through severe trials. And some of those trials are pretty devastating. You know, we look at our trials here. And I think sometimes we're wimps. Because we look at what Christians are going through in Asia, in parts of Africa, Sudan, uh, the Cameroon, China, what's going on there. I mean, so many parts of the earth. In fact, uh, Saturday, or what was it, Thursday night, try to keep my days straight. Thursday night, we attended the uh, banquet for the mission. It was a really great event. And at our table sat a young man from the Cameroon. He had come to the States, I believe, to do some studying. But while he was here, his village was wiped out by Muslims. Uh, he had nothing to go back to, so, so he stayed. But we, we think that, man, I go through so many trials. We have Christians around the world who are being slaughtered, seeing their families slaughtered, tortured before their eyes. How can a good God allow this to happen? God has purpose. And we may not see it, but he tells us ahead of time. In this life, you will have tribulation. He didn't say in this life, you are going to have a life of ease and grandeur and have everything you ever wanted, and you're going to live your best life now, and God wants you rich and famous and everything like that. And Christians are sending all their hard-earned money to these charlatans. And you know the only person getting anything out of it? The charlatans, they're getting rich. You know what they're not getting? Saved. Salvation. We will face persecution. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like to hurt. Anybody here really like it when you're hurting? I certainly don't. And you know me, I, when my hand got stuck in those rollers there, uh, at sec, beginning of the second semester of, of a seminary, and I got stuck in there, and I was in there for, for that 45 minutes while they desperately tried to take the thing apart to get me out. And praise God for Jay Fretz, who was working there too. He got in and was able to do it. But, uh, you know, I, as, as I was there, and everybody in the factory came to watch me. I don't know what they expected me to do. Maybe faint away or, or whatever, but God was taking care of me then. But I wasn't there on my knees, stooping down and saying, Lord, thank you for allowing me to crush my hand. 
that thought really did not pass my mind at the time. Looking back on it, all these years later, I see some really good that came out of it because it taught me a lot more than that semester of, of seminary probably couldn't have, but it taught me what people in the hospital are going through. It also taught me what people who are hurting are going through. God had purpose in that. And when we're going through trials, God has purpose. He is refining us, strengthening us. And that's what the word says here. It reveals the reality of our faith. He says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, even though it's tested by fire. Wow. We don't understand faith until we're tested. Remember in school, having a test? We don't know how much we know until that test comes. And I know the night before the test, we try to cram it all in. And as soon as the test is over, it's all gone. But those tests, what the Lord is doing with us is refining us. He's strengthening us. If we don't go through the test, we'll never be able to live for him. You know, in high school, I played baseball, and I loved baseball. But there was one thing I didn't like about it. I had to go to practice every day. And I didn't enjoy the sit-ups and all the laps and all the running and everything and the ridicule from the, the coach. All of us hated that. But, you know, all of that testing, so to speak, paid off when we played the game. We knew what to do, and we knew how to do it. That's what the Lord... God allows problems to come into our lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, says that sometimes so that we can be a help to others who are going through the same time. We can help them with what God has done for us when we were going through it. We can be an encouragement to somebody else. Instead of saying, oh, God... What's wrong? Why are you letting this happen to me? We have the privilege of knowing that God cares about us and he allows us to go through things. Difficult things. So that in the end, he will refine us and we will be stronger and better for it and a better testimony for him. And what does it say there at the end of that, that verse? So that it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We can praise the Lord for getting us through, but you know what else we get? We come through that and we're successful because God, by his grace, has taken it through us and we've come out the victor. It's so that we can get an A plus at the appearing of the Lord. 
We've been tested and we've been found faithful and God allows us to have praise and glory at the honor of the Lord, at the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. How about you? Don't you want to hear when you face the Lord, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's, that's what we live for. And then we give all the praise, the honor, and the glory back to the Lord because it's all because of him and through him. We have the privilege of understanding that God doesn't allow anything to come into our lives that he doesn't have purpose And again, it may be years down the line before we see any purpose. But that's where faith comes in. We need to trust the Lord. So we have that provision of salvation. We have purpose in our suffering. But I also say, <laughs> we, uh, we have a possession that the prophets and the angels didn't have. In verse 10, it says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully or diligently, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you, things the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. You see, we have this possession. You might say we have a perspective that even the prophets and the angels didn't have. The prophets wrote, as they were guided by the Holy Spirit, they didn't understand everything that they were writing. David, when he wrote Psalm 22, didn't understand that he was writing about the crucifixion. He was talking about things that were going into, on in his life, and he was writing all of those things, but the Holy Spirit was guiding him as he wrote. And we can look back now. Isn't hindsight really good? The prophets didn't have the hindsight. Isaiah would write about Christ. He would write about his first coming and his second coming in the exact same context, and he couldn't see the, the chasm in between those two things. We can. We have perspective that even the prophets didn't have. We are living at a wonderful time We have all of these privileges. And look what it says. The angels are looking into what we have. It amazes them. You know, salvation is not afforded to the angels. 
the angels that sin? No redemption. And though we're lower than the angels, God loved us and sent his son. God himself taking on human flesh, as we read in Hebrews, made a little lower than the angels. All of a sudden, he's one of us. I'm sure the angels had to be astonished and amazed at that. And they're watching us. They're guarding us as well. But I'm sure the astonishment, God cares for these sinful beings. Folks, we ought to be really thankful for what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And later on, Peter writes, we have perfection. The perfection of Christ's sacrifice. We're not bought with silver and gold, all of those things. We're bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. Have you ever thought about how much God paid for you? How much he paid for me? Of course, you know I, I'm really into baseball. You know, I think of what players are being paid these days. I think last year, the Phillies gave Bryce Harper $330 million to play baseball. And he was okay. I don't think he was worth $330 million. But you know, he was paid a lot. But it doesn't even compare to what Jesus paid for you and for me. His precious blood. You know, what God thinks of us we are precious and valuable in his sight. We have a lot to be thankful for. That doesn't mean that we go around gloating. That should humble us. That with humility, we come before the throne of God with gratitude in our hearts. Because he didn't have to do that. He only did it out of his great love for us. So we have something to be thankful for this Thanksgiving. I think we have a lot to be thankful for. Even if we have our aches and pains and, and uh, all the physical problems that come our way and yes, and, and heartaches, but we have something that we know is at the end of our road here, we have Jesus. 
and we have him for all of eternity. God's grace, his mercy has done it all. Bought with the precious blood of Jesus, protected, guarded by God throughout all this crazy world. We need to rejoice in a wonderful Savior and rejoice in what he did for us. Years ago, Chris Christofferson wrote a, wrote a song, Why Me, Lord? We often ask, why me, Lord, when something bad happens to us? He wrote that song talking about the amazement of salvation. Why would you save me? We are privileged people. May we rejoice in our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.